I have always loved children's books when I was a child and even since then. I love the art, and I love the kind of the wide-eyed wonder, the sense of whimsy, the big words, <laughs> little words. And one of my favorite books of all is a book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And so I'll take you some this morning and I wanna kind of share that with you. Now here's what I know, if you're reading a children's book, you can't do it standing up because you're gonna have children around you, right? So I'm just gonna get down right this and we're gonna have story time with Pastor Dave, okay? <laughs> You'll see some of the images on the screen, not all of them, but just kind of follow along the story here. So Alexander says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was gonna be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. <laughs> at school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was gonna be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? <laughs> it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose, chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. And the man said, they're sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. We picked up my dad in my office. He said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk. And I was careful as could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. <laughs> it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. <laughs> When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> some days are like that, even right here in Bowling Green. You've had days like that, haven't you? When you, everything's messed up. Some relationship is in the ditch, job stresses, parenting challenges, you got a bad report from the doctor, you, you planned a picnic and it rained, your team lost, the milk went sour, the internet went out, your cat left a hairball on the couch. I mean, it was, things happen. It's a broken world, those days will come. As we've said before, we know we're either coming out of, in the middle of, or heading into terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Well, what do you do to make, to make it through? Well, we all have techniques. 
Uh, some of us will eat comfort food. After extensive surveys, I've discovered that all comfort foods have large quantities either of cheese or chocolate. <laughs> and you just feel better. Uh, some people wouldn't want it to deal with that with retail therapy, just go buy some stuff. Others want to punch something or hit a little ball a long way, whatever it is. There's obviously another resource for God's people. That's the resource of faith. Now, when we're kind of on the top of our game, faith-wise, it'll be our first place we'll go. Sometimes it'll be the very last resort. But most of the time, we're kind of waddling somewhere in the middle between those two. Because we're not sure how to access what we say we believe and apply it to this terrible, horrible moment. So the question I want to ask this morning is this. How do we get faith from our head to our heart, maybe into our hands, on a terrible, horrible, your worst day? We want to get at that by looking at another terrible day recorded for us in Psalm 42 and 43. So if you have your copy of the Bible, would you go ahead and turn there to Psalm 42 and 43. There's two Psalms in our Bible. Most think they were originally composed and sung as one so as you read this, I want you to listen to it and hear if you can hear why they would have said this probably was one psalm. Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Begin in Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep with the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So you hear, don't you? You hear why. It's kind of the same theme all the way across. And you have that repeated chorus over and over again. Why are you cast down? Hope in 
God. Now the psalmist describes his, his life with, with achingly poignant images. He, he says, I'm, I'm thirsty, I have a panting soul. My soul feels like it, it's gonna die, I need something. He says he has tears for food. He's taunted for trying to live out his faith. He's drowning in hurts and questions. He feels alone. He feels God forsaken. God, where are you in the middle of this? The agony, he says, aches in his bones. He is, and has this sense of injustice that there's people that are ungodly who are going unpunished. And, and I'm trying, and God, what's going on? But in the middle of all of this, he is a God-haunted man. It all relates to God somehow. He's mentioned 30 Time. So how can he possibly take another step into a season like that? One little word gives the clue. Verse four, he says, I, these things I remember. And verse six says, I will remember you. Now that's fairly common in, in the Bible. When the children of Israel crossed across the Jordan River when it was in flood stage and the Jordan parted and they walked across and they went back into the middle of the river picked up 12 stones, one for each tribe, stacked the stones on the other side of the river so they would remember, remember how God had delivered them. Jesus says in the Lord's Supper, remember me as often as you do this. Paul says, remember my chains where I am. Now when you remember, that connection is something that you know already. It's not something new. You've already had it. It's already in your story. You're just kind of putting the search thing on and say, I know this is in here somewhere. Where is it? How can I get to it? So in the Bible, remembering is a memorial. Remember where this fits into God's story. It's a foundation to build on. It's a faith point to focus our trust. So when we get to the remembering in Psalm 42 and 43, it is, this is the fuel for hope for horrible, terrible days. And it all emerges from that repeated chorus. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in, in God. So what are we supposed to remember to have that kind of hope? Show you a few things. On your worst day, would you remember that God-centered worship will reorient your soul? You look at verse four, you see he's, in his mind's eye, he's drifting back the processions to the temple that marked Israel's festivals. So several times a year, they had these huge regular worship events that would tie the story of the people of Israel to the larger story with God. And he said, I'm not alone. He was part of the community of faiths. I'm going with the multitudes, with throngs of people. Matter of fact, he was leading the parade. He was in the front, so probably was a worship leader or a pastor of some sort. He's replaying in his mind the shouts of joy. He's re-singing the songs and repeating the scriptures they would have said. Every, every detail is alive in his heart. Now, when we gather here every Lord's Day for worship, we gather with God's people to tell our story with God, and we call that the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we worship, we worship as we sing the glory of God's beauty and we recognize his worth and his goodness in his saving in our songs. But we also worship as we hear and speak the glory of God's beauty and, the, and the, his worth and, our, and, and his goodness in his saving in our proclamation. And we look at the scripture, all those are worship. We worship in the quiet, we worship when we pray, we worship in the ordinances. So we think with our minds, we feel with our hearts the wonder and the sufficiency of Jesus. That's what we do when we gather together. And then we leave here, we step out into a broken world. And we have the ordinary stresses of home and work. There's the ebb and flow of relationships. 
There's joys and sorrows. There's, there's a energy and weariness. There's anger and sadness. There's frustration and confusion. Just the stuff of a normal week. It all happens that way. And in the blur of life like that, the experiences of worship can be easily forgotten. I don't know about you, but sometimes on Thursday afternoon, in the middle of life on Thursday afternoon, the worship experience like this on Sunday morning feels another universe away. I can forget it because when I go through life, our hearts get tossed and twisted and spun around and played so we're out of balance and we kind of lose our bearings and begin to wander and weave a little bit. So our hearts need something to help us keep heading in the true direction. We need something to help us move in the right way. So like a hiker who's wandering in the wilderness, if that hiker can find the North Star, he'd begin to orient his life again. Or he has a compass that's oriented by the magnetic poles of the north and it shows him where north is. He began to orient his life again on his journey. In the same way, these gatherings we have together built on spirit and truth are desperately necessary for us as we begin to live our lives, which is why it's just great, God's idea, and beautiful that Sunday morning comes every seven days. Because we desperately need to be reminded again, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's happened, how twisted we feel, how knocked off course we feel, and how shaken we are, maybe or messed up or just distracted by life in that week, we come here to be reminded, first of all, who God is, that he's a forever God of glory and beauty. He reigns on his throne. His throne is not shaken. He is a word that is true no matter how many lies we hear in the world. And when all the lies are gone to dust, he'll still be on his throne and he'll still be true. So we remind ourselves that's who he is. We also remind ourselves what the gospel is. That there's good news in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and dying and rising again that forgives us and redeems us and frees us and transforms us. But we also in these gatherings remind ourselves who we are. If we've trusted him, we are loved and chosen and rescued and adopted and secured children of the king. And we're also reminding ourselves, why do we live? We live to bring him glory. We live to become more like Jesus. We live to extend the borders of his kingdom and to spread his love and to make much of Christ. Our lives matter. We remind ourselves of all those things when we gather. So when we come into worship, the writer of Hebrews said this. He says, since we have come to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast, tightly and swervingly, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, now many times when we hear this, we sometimes hear it as if it's God scolding us. Don't neglect to meet together. Don't miss church. And we kind of hear a kind of smack on the hand kind of thing. That's not the sense of this whatsoever. He says, you're together. You're encouraging one another as you're rehearsing what the gospel is and who God is. We're encouraging one another to do what? Look back at the previous screen. Look at what it says. To help us hold fast, tightly, unswervingly, the confession of our hope without wavering. This intended to help us hold on to our hope in the middle of life. Now, here's what I've seen. Across, across years and years of pastoring, I see people who get caught in the terrible horribles. And many times their first instinct is to, is to jettison these gatherings on Sundays. Also, when life gets hard and it gets difficult, all of a sudden I don't come to church anymore. That's the time you most desperately need to be here. 
Most desperately need to be here to know who God is and remind yourself what the gospel is and remember who you are and why you're alive and what God's doing, all those things together. So here's what I want you to see. Worship is the North Star for horrible day hope. That's why we come here. That's why we engage our minds and our hearts and our affections. We remember who God is, our place in the world, who our Father is, what he's doing. Now, you don't have to wait for Sunday to worship, right? It's important you worship anytime you feel that prompting, but this is crucial for us. So on your worst day, remember that these gatherings are meant to reorient your soul. But would you also on your worst day remember that God is sovereignly present in your circumstances. Verse six gives us a little picture of the geography of the Holy Land. He talks about the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mizar and deep and waterfalls and breakers and waves, those kind of things. So here you gotta get the picture. Mount Hermon was in the north of Israel. It's 9,200 feet and the snows there would feed the streams that become the rivers that flow into the Jordan. The Jordan is the river and in a valley that goes all the way down the middle of of Israel. And as it's there, there, there are caves and caverns and there's all kinds of places where it, there's waterfalls that are there and eventually that's gonna empty into the sea where the waves and the breakers are. Now here's the idea. From north to south, from top to bottom of your life, God is present. There's no place where he is, where he is not. He's there in the mountaintop experiences. You know those moments where you just feel God so close, where everything's bright and clear and you can see and you can, you can breathe deep and it's, you can feel so tender and intimate with God and you, you hear his voice and you know he's speaking to you and you're so confident of his goodness. But he's also there in the depths and the dark where, where you can't get your breath because the next wave keeps crashing over you. <laughs> and you don't know what's gonna go on, you're not sure whatever's going on is a mystery to you. A few years ago, I was hiking in British Columbia in the Canadian Rockies and, and with some friends, and we were on a, a ridge, and we were surrounded by these huge trees, and we suddenly became aware of this, this roar around us, and we were kind of confused by what we were hearing, we didn't really know, and our guide told us that we were less than a mile from this magnificent waterfall that fell hundreds of feet down this, down this cliff face. And what we were hearing was the roar of the rapids, the water going over, and then the thud of that water hitting the deeper water below it in the river as it continued on. Now, before we ever saw that beauty, we had this sense of, of mystery that there was something bigger and beyond us wherever we are. Now listen, no matter how it feels to me or to you, what I see, what I don't about my moment, what I understand, what I don't, God is there. I can't see the whole of the land, of the landscape of my life from the highest to the lowest. I can't see everything, even though I think I can. I don't see everything, but God can, God can see. Remember the story of Hagar in the Bible? Abraham, the father of faith, and his wife, Sarah, remember, were older. They were in their 80s, and they were, they were barren. They had no children, but God had promised they'd have a child. They grew frustrated with waiting after several decades. They didn't know what was going to happen, and so, so they grew frustrated with that. And so finally, Sarah says, I want, I want Hagar to become a surrogate. And in fact, Hagar did become pregnant by Abraham. And then the minute she became pregnant, Sarah became jealous and bitter, and she abused Hagar in lots and lots of ways, so Hagar ran away. The Bible says the angel of the Lord found her by a spring, and he asked her, Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going? 
She says, it's hard, I'm abused, it's terrible, I'm running away. And the angel of the Lord says, you go back and trust me, you'll have a child, I have purposes that are there. Next thing the Bible says is this, so Hagar, name the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me, Elroy. For she said, here I have seen one who sees me. You're not hidden to your God. No matter what's going on, he sees you. He sees and knows on your horrible day. Even more than that, he's at work right there. No detail of the thing. When the waves are going over you and you can't breathe, no detail is left out of his purposes. For Psalm 139 says this. It says, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. All my days. Even if you're in a place where it's so deep and so dark and you can't see and you don't know, it's not outside the plan of God. So God's sovereignty, his sovereign care for you is an underground spring that feeds horrible day hope. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Would you also note though, on your worst day, would you remember that God's love is always at work for your best? Look at verse eight, it says God directs his love towards you. It's not as kind of, you know, God's love is everywhere. No, this is, this is intentional, it's individual for you. Not a, not a happy accident like finding peppermint ice cream in the store in August, <laughs> or finding your friends in the same spot on vacation a thousand miles from home. No, it's, it's intentional. It's, it's towards you for your heart for a specific moment. And how does that love show up? for you. Well, every day, as soon as you wake up, first thing you open your eyes, here's what you can know. Oh, there are new mercies for today. There are new mercies for my life for this unique day. And all throughout that day, you're going to find he's going to provide for your needs and, and discipline you and strength and provide forgiveness or the smile of a friend or just the right scripture at just the right time, a meaningful conversation, all those ways. And at night, that love becomes the lullaby for our hearts as we remember back throughout the day. Night says a song to my heart. You know, there's something infinitely precious about the voice of a parent singing over their child. I remember when Drew was really, really small, trying to get him to sleep at night. And so we're over there and we're laying in bed together and, and uh, trying to get him to calm down a little bit and just... You know, just sing, just softly, you know. Jesus loves me, yes I know, for the Bible tells me so. God is so good, God is so good. You sing until he drifts off to sleep. Have you ever considered, have you ever thought that your God, your heavenly Father is a singing God? Notice what it says. He's, it's his song he's singing. His song of infinite love and mercy and goodness that becomes the prayer. And it's all certain because that's what flows from his heart. It's what his heart is for us. This is how we know what love is, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That gospel makes us God's children. Romans 8 says, it says, we receive not a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as children. So we cry out, Abba, Father, 
we know he's our father, we say he's our father, that reminds us, that affirms that he has good intentions toward us. And so Jesus says this later on. He says, look, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you know that you have a how much more heavenly Father? That's who he is. That's his love and delight for you to bring that to you. There's a great old Swedish hymn. This is day by day. And with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure mingling joy with peace and rest. Corrie ten Boom and her family hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. They were found out. Their whole family was sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp as punishment and with her sister there and all the family died there except for Corey. They saw horrors of disease and death and torture and after it was over, when Corey looked back, she said this. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Even Jesus in our darkest moments, the best remains and the very best is yet to be with Jesus. There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's the lullaby of our hearts. When my grandmother was really small, they would go to school and they went across the fields they'd go out in a rural area so many times they'd come back and at the end of the day and the shadows are coming and maybe the crops were a little high and trees were there and they saw shadows, a little scary. And she said, so what my father would do, my great-grandfather, he would stand at the edge of their property and he would sing. And when he would sing or whistle, then they would follow his song wherever they were in the shadows. They could follow that song all the way home. Here's what you gotta remember. God's act of love is the melody to sing for horrible day hope. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, hope in God. On your worst day, remember, remember the love. Remember also that God's justice will deliver you from ungodliness. You hear it in there in the psalm. He says, people are saying, where's your God? And it's like the people that aren't godly are winning and the world's getting darker and more terrible. It's crushing my heart. Defend me, deliver me. This is not right. One way to know something is wrong is to have some standard as what is right. So if you're gonna know a counterfeit bill, you do that by handling the real thing. If you go to, if you go to New Orleans or the French Quarter, you go shopping there, and they will sell you a Dooney and Burke bag for $19.95. <laughs> or they'll sell you a pair of Air Jordans for $19.95. It ain't the real thing. <laughs> it's a knockoff. It's a fake, and you compare it to see what the real thing is. In life, the ultimate right thing is the thing that matches God's character, God's word, God's purposes. So justice, when we say, God, do, do it right, justice is the action of affirming the perfectly right thing, whether it's morally or ethically or spiritually or socially or punishing the wrong things. And you cry out to God when the darkness is coming in on you. Here's what you know. Here's what it says. There is no injustice with the Lord our God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So whatever he acts, whatever he does, it's gonna be perfectly good, beautiful, true, and right. 
no matter what happens. So Jeremiah later says, look, that's the one who boasts. Boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who practices kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. The Lord delights to practice what is right, to do what is right, make it come through. So the Lord will always do what is right. Here's what you can know. When the crushing comes in, the darkness comes in, what you can know, his right always wins. If not immediately, then ultimately, in this terrible, horrible moment, this no good moment you may be in, his promise is that there's always good coming, that the wrong is always gonna be made right. And that promise that he'll do that is more dependable than how you feel about it. In the moment, you hold on. So God's justice is a sturdy lifeline to horrible day hope. Why so downcast, oh my soul? On your worst day, remember Ultimately, that God promises to get you home through the dark. You know how it is when storms come, right? And the power goes out and the house goes dark. We have flashlights and batteries and candles and matches. And when dark comes, we can chase the dark with light. We feel the weight on our soul and the difficulty of the world as it is and marked by blindness and darkness and fuzziness and uncertainty. We don't know how to take the next step. We get confused. Is the next step going to make me walk on broken glass? Is the next step going to take me over a cliff? Is the next step going to put me in front of somebody that's a threat to me? We don't know where that is. So here's the plea in, in 43.3. He says, Lord, send out your light and your truth. I fear, I have confusion, I have ache. I, I want to get home, I want to get to you, I want to be where you are, but I don't know how to get there. I need light for my blindness. I can't see the way. Everything I'm looking at seems to confuse me more. And I can't see in those moments, here's what you remember, that Jesus is the light of the world. What it says about him, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, not conquered it. No matter how deep the darkness is in your soul or the world or however it is, it will never, ever, has not, will not, will never overcome the light that is in Jesus Christ. Not only that, I need truth I'm confused, I don't know where to go. All the roads look the same. How do I get home if I don't know where home is? How do I know how to head that direction? Jesus said this, he said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There's a place. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way is a person, the truth is a person. So he says, just measure everything by me. Trust me, follow me, you'll make it home. World War I, there was a soldier who got discouraged and planned to desert, leave his unit, began wandering through the, through the countryside. And it was pitch black, couldn't see anything. He came upon a, what he thought was a signpost. So he thought, I'll climb up on it and I'll see where I am. So he climbed up on the top of the signpost, struck a match, expecting to see the name of a town or a city that's coming next. And what he found himself was looking straight into the face of Jesus Christ. What he had climbed up on was not a road sign, but what was very common in those days, a roadside crucifix that had been placed there. And in that moment, he remembered the one who had died for him, who had never turned back, and he got a second wind when he looked in the face of Jesus. And so can you. you. Look in the face of Jesus, you'll get a second 
win because Jesus is the unfading light, the certain God that gives us horrible day hope that we'll make it home through the dark. You see verse four? The result of all this is joy and delight. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you. His heaviness is lifted from his soul. So listen, when you're in those moments, the hope comes in the remembering. Remember, worship reorients your heart to hope. God's sovereign presence is a spring feeding the river of hope. His love is the melody of hope. His justice is the lifeline to hope. Jesus is a light and truth that will light your path all the way home. We look even more at that. Here's what you find. The one we worship, well, his name is Jesus. God's presence is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus. Love has a name. His name is Jesus. Justice has a name. His name is Jesus. Light and truth have a name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is our hope. He's our hope. So on your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, Remember that, and what you'll find is that hope comes alive in Bowling Green. And maybe if you go there, even in Australia, <laughs> let's stand together and pray. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been walking, finding your heart more and more discouraged and more and more down by your personal circumstances, just a world that is hard. So as we worship in a moment through singing, maybe you'd want to come and kneel here. Maybe just your very coming and kneeling would be the breakthrough necessary to break through your heart to see the light and the hope of Jesus again. Maybe you're here and you need to know him for the first time. It'd be a good time to come and cry out to him and say, Lord, I... I need this kind of love, this kind of hope, this kind of right in my life. Maybe it's your day to repent of sin and trust Christ. So Lord, we pray in these moments that you would help us, having heard the realities of your gospel promises, would you help us now, Lord, as an act of bold faith to come and think about those areas in our life we wanna lock into hope with you. Help us to come and kneel as a confession of our trust that you are good and your sufficient love for us. Help us, Lord, to respond to you as you're prompting us by your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. You come as we worship this singing together.